Hello, and welcome to the Her Head and Films podcast. I'm your host. My name is Caitlin. In this podcast, I share my personal thoughts and feelings about the films that I watch. They tend to be art house films and international or what I like to call world cinema. If you're new to the podcast and you don't know who I am, I am a writer. I consider myself a dreamer. I love literature, art, poetry, and in the last few years, since about 2011, I've developed a really intense, burning passion for cinema and films, and um, it's just become a central part of my life. I started this podcast because I live in a very rural area. I'm pretty isolated for the most part. I don't live near any kind of art house movie theater or anything like that. There's no cinephile culture and I don't have access to that in my everyday life. So I wanted an outlet to talk about the films that I watch and to talk about why I think they're great and to just explore them. If you're new to the podcast and you don't know what the title refers to, it comes from an email that I sent a friend a few years ago. At that time, I was obsessively watching films, which I tend to do. Um, I'll just watch, you know, one after the other. And in that email, I wrote, my head isn't in the clouds. My head is in films. And so that seemed like the perfect phrase to really capture my relationship with cinema, how I'm always thinking about it, and it's always on my mind, and um, yeah, that's what I wanted to convey with the title. This podcast is raw at times, it's personal, I weave together my own life with the films that I watch, and that's the lens through which I talk about them. Doesn't mean I don't talk about larger issues, I'm certainly a feminist, and and I like to talk about race, gender, class when it's applicable in a film, of course. But the heart of it is my life. I don't have any background or degree in film studies. I'm self-taught. Um, this is just a hobby of mine, a passion of mine. So I can't necessarily offer you any kind of film theory or film history. But what I offer is myself and my personal connection to these films and why I think that they matter, and why I love them so much. This podcast does have a Patreon. Um, Patreon is a website where you can help support people who create various kinds of content, whether it's writing, whether it's podcasts or videos. So if you're a listener and you would like to get access to, to some rewards or extras and help me sustain the podcast so I can pay for storage and, and things like that, that would be much appreciated. That's at patreon.com slash herheadandfilms. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash herheadandfilms. At one level, you can get a shout out on each episode. And so I just want to take a moment to give a shout out to my patrons. So I'll give a shout out to Lindsay, Olivia, Carolyn, Feminist Overlord, Michelle, and Jesse. Thanks so much for your continued support and thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast, who um, shares it, or just who, you know, who the people who enjoy it and, and like to listen to it. I appreciate all of you. And um, 
Thank you for valuing what I have to say and being interested in what I have to say. Today's film is going to be um, one that's it's one that's really close to my heart, and it's a South Korean film called Poetry. It's directed by Lee Chang Dong, and it came out in 2010. So I'm going to go pretty deep into that film, and I've always wanted to talk about it, and so I'm going to. But sometimes at the beginning of each episode, I just like to talk about general things before I get into the the film that I'm focusing on. So today, for my more general topic, I don't do this for every episode, but I have something that I want to talk about today. And I, it's something that I've noticed online. I'm on Twitter a lot, much more than I should be. Um... And my Twitter is in the description of each episode if you ever want to follow there. I'm also on Facebook at Her Head and Films. But something I've noticed with Twitter is, and well, this is really about film criticism online. You know, we're seeing the shift where film criticism has become really big online. Um, there's a lot of websites dedicated to film criticism and to talking about films or even talking about television shows. That's become a really big thing. And it seems like every time a film comes out or there's a controversial film or a popular film, there's like a million think pieces. There's a million essays, you know, and all of that. It's really the Internet for me as a cinephile. It can be good and bad. It can it can have its really good parts where you can discover films and you can um you can make make these discoveries and you can get recommendations from people and you can connect with other like-minded people who might be interested in similar films as you i mean that's what you're doing as you listen to my podcast so i like to think of myself as a little tiny tiny part of that i'm not influential or anything um just as someone who's helping to spread um spread a love for cinema and, and an engagement with it, a critical engagement at times, but also a personal engagement. But I find online, I, I find social media exhausting in general, but especially when it comes to pop culture and films and TV shows and even music where there is so much noise. There is there is a think piece literally about every single thing that happens in pop culture and I think that can be a bit destructive when it comes to films. I think sometimes you need to watch a film and figure out what you think about it. When I do these podcasts, I am going to be honest, I don't do a ton of research. I don't read a lot of reviews of the films because I don't want to be influenced by them. I don't want my thinking to be shaped by it. I want to figure out how I feel about a film on my own. I, I want to think for myself. I don't want someone else to tell me this movie's good, this movie's bad. In the last few years, especially in the last year, there have been some controversial films released or just very different films that have gotten a lot of attention online, I guess in pop culture. I'm not going to name those films. Um, but you know, you know, there's films out there that, you know, there's a million essays about them and everybody has an opinion about it. And I just, I, 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 I get to my sort of limit with it where I can't read another essay about X, Y, and Z film. 
And something that I've seen sometimes when I'm going through Twitter and I follow a few film critics and stuff like that is they'll release a review. You know, they'll write their review about a film. And I'll see in the comments or I'll see in the replies to the tweet, oh, I was going to go see that, but now that I've read your review, I'm not going to. Or thanks for saving me that. Or, um, you know, something to that effect where they were going to watch the film. They were interested in the film. And then because they read this review, they decided not to watch it. Now, I'm not here to police anybody. I'm not here to say, oh, well, you should watch that film. I know that there are some films that can be about trauma, that can be about race, that can be about gender, that there are people that don't want to engage with that. So if they read a review and it says, oh, this film is really misogynistic or sexist or racist, you shouldn't go see it. You know, we all have to take care of our mental health and maybe not engage with certain films that we think could be really damaging to us or that we don't want to waste money on going to the movie theater. I, I know these reviews are important. We have more and more content out there. There's more shows to watch. There's so many movies out there to watch. A lot of times we use these reviews and we use certain critics that we trust and admire to help us sort of sort through all the stuff that's out there because there's no way one person can humanly do it and it can be a way to sort of weed out films that we may not want to put money into or we may not want to go see or go through the experience of it and I understand that you know I get it I really do you have to make those decisions for yourself but but there's another side of it where I kind of I, I don't I don't know how to say this. I don't think you should read one person's review and decide, oh, well, I'm not going to see that film if you had been wanting to see that film. You get what I'm saying? Like, if it interested you, if the description was intriguing, if it's by a director that you like, um, I don't know if I would take one review and say, well, I'm just not going to go see that film. For me personally, I would rather see the film if I think it's worth seeing you know, you have to make those decisions for yourself. But there are a few films recently that have come out that have kind of had a backlash against it or have kind of gotten a lot of controversy, but I'm still interested in those films. And so I would ask you to maybe not, when you read a review, or even if you, if you listen to a review that I do even, although I don't tend to do negative reviews in this podcast because I want to focus on things that I love and that I'm passionate about. I would ask you to not totally put that film away. That if it's something that interested you and it's something that you think had something valuable to say, that it may still be worth watching and that you could form your own opinion about it and have your own thoughts about it. And there can be films that have really problematic aspects to them that still have something to say, that still have something to offer. And there's a complexity there. And there's, um, sometimes we have to wade into those contradictions and, and figure out for ourselves what we think about a film. Um, and I would, I just, I just wanted to talk about that for a minute. Cause I find that a little bit, um, 
I don't want to make a value judgment about people that do that, but I just, I've seen these things like, oh, I was going to see that, but now that I read your review, I'm not going to see it. And I would just rather, you know, if I'm interested in a film, I'm going to see it. Even if this really prestigious film critic thinks it's terrible, even if somebody I respect doesn't quite like it. I mean, I have cinephile friends and and one of us can absolutely love a film, will recommend it to one another, and then the other person will watch it, and it's like, eh, you know, it's sort of meh. It's it's not that great of a film, or you don't think it's that good. So I would just say that there could be a film that one person really hates, that you actually love, that you find something interesting about it, um, that you find something worthwhile or valuable about it. And so to not completely close yourself off to the possibilities that a film could hold for you. I'm just one of those pe those people. I don't want to be told what to think about something. You know, I have musicians I like. I have films I like. I have TV shows that I like. They may not be considered the greatest ever. They may have some worrisome aspects to them. But I like them and I see something in them that I find valuable. And so I just was a little put off by that, you know, that somebody would just read one review and say, well, I'm not going to see it now. You know, you've told me what to think about it. You've told me what it is. And I would suggest that maybe you try to come up with that for yourself and think through it for yourself. But that's just a suggestion. And that's just my two cents and my opinion. And I just wanted to talk about it for a moment. It was just something that was on my mind and that I wanted to say something about. So on to the film that I'm focusing on this week. As I said, it's a South Korean film. It's by Lee Chang-dong, who I'm a fan of. I've seen two of his films. I've seen this one that I'm reviewing called Poetry, released in 2010. And then he also has another film called Secret Sunshine. Um... I love both of them. They're both um, incredibly powerful. And he has become one of those directors for me that I watch. That if I see his work or I hear about his work, I'm going to watch it. And, and he interests me a great deal. This movie is very poignant. It's very emotional. I think it's very powerful. It's also devastating at times, this film. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. And it's interesting because I actually watched this film this week on National Poetry Day. And I had no idea that it was National Poetry Day at all. I just woke up that day. I saw on Twitter people posting things about National Poetry Day. I did too. I was using the hashtag, posting some Sylvia Plath and stuff like that that I love. I love poetry. I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. And I'm a huge fan of this film as well. So the basic synopsis of this film is that it's about an elderly woman. She's around 66 years old. Her name is Miss Yang Mija, or Mija. And there's really two things that she's dealing with. On the one hand, she's dealing with her health. She has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And I will say, before I go any further, there are spoilers. There are major, major spoilers. I go in-depth about the plot and everything that happens in the film. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want it ruined, do not listen past this point. So Mija, she has Alzheimer's. 
and she's raising basically her grandson. Um, her grandson lives with her. His name is Wook. And um, he is involved in the rape, the gang rape of a young girl named Agnes. And so that is sort of the two threads going on is that on the one hand, she's dealing with her health and she's taking a poetry class and she's trying to write a poem for the class. So she's dealing, she's doing that. And then she's having to deal with her grandson's involvement in this brutal, um, ongoing sexual assault of a young girl. And that young girl, Agnes ends up killing herself. She jumps off a bridge into a river. The film opens with her body floating in the water. So that is the basic synopsis of the film. Um, this film is about patriarchy. It's about misogyny and rape culture. Obviously, violence against women, which is a very important topic, I think, and it doesn't get talked about enough. And while this film takes place in South Korea and is obviously a, a certain amount of social commentary on masculinity and patriarchy in South Korea, I think some of it is, is applicable to the United States. And I myself saw parallels between certain things that happen in this film and things that we see that happen here in the United States. So I'm really going to be weaving in both of them. I think that's one of the interesting things about world cinema or international cinema is that you can watch a film set in Iran or South Korea or China or um, Chad. I've watched a few films by a director who does films based in Chad in Africa. And you can see things in those films that are very particular to the cultures where they are made. And then you can also, I think, take lessons or take insights or revelations that can apply to your own culture, to my own culture here in the United States. And so that's what I found in this film as well, is that obviously social commentary about South Korea, its treatment of women, uh, the way men um, act and the way they're allowed to act and the things they're allowed to do. But I took I took insights to the United about the United States as well. So as I say, it's about patriarchy and misogyny. It's also a film profoundly concerned with poetry as the title indicates of how do you write a poem? What is a poem? What is the role of poetry in our lives? Um, another theme that I want to talk about a little is what do you do when a loved one does something horrible? Because that's what Mija has to deal with is that her grandson has done a horrific act. Horrific. And it has led to a young girl's suicide who's 16. How do you cope with that? What do you do? Um, so that's just a few of the themes that I saw in this film and that I want to talk about. Um, I wanted to share what Lee Chang Dong said about this film and his inspiration behind it and some of the things he was thinking about. So this is from... This is from an interview he did with The Hollywood Reporter a few years ago. 
and so he says, quote, A few years ago, I learned about the gang rape of a local school schoolgirl by teenage boys in a small town. The incident struck me and stayed in my head for a while without really knowing why. Perhaps it was because the story was related to so many issues like the problems of youth, the future of society and morals in our everyday lives. So I thought about different ways to make a film about the incident, like a genre film tracing the root of the event, but I didn't want to do that. Then one night in a hotel room while I was traveling in Japan, I was slipping through channels and saw a program which was probably for sleepless travelers. It showed beautiful scenes of nature, a peaceful river, birds flying, fishermen on the sea, with soft new age music in the background. Then suddenly it reminded me of that horrible incident and the word poetry and the image of a 60 year old woman came up in my mind. That's how I met with the story." Unquote. And another thing that he wanted to explore with the film and that he says in this interview, he says, quote, one of my starting questions in the film was why we read poetry. I thought about, I thought about that a lot. And I think we're seeking for beauty because the reality isn't beautiful. That correlation intrigued me. My other question was, why don't we read poetry anymore when the reality hasn't gotten any better? I wanted to question whether we really don't need poetry or certain kinds of films in our lives anymore. I really wanted to ask people, are we sure we don't need poetry anymore? I'm reserving my answer for that one. Unquote. So this is a film really about the coexistence of tragedy and pain. Well, the coexistence of tragedy and beauty. On the one hand, here is Mija taking this poetry class, which is changing her. And, and the poetry teacher says that um, to write poetry, you need to see. You need to be alert and awake and you need to really look at the world and, and see it. And, um, and so you see how Mija, she looks at apples or apricots or she watches the light streaming through the trees. And she is very much in touch with nature and trying to connect to it in order to write a poem and to write poetry. And she desperately wants to write poetry. She took the class because when she was very little, a teacher told her that she was going to be a poet one day. Of course, she didn't become a poet. She works as a maid. Um, she helps to take care of an elderly man. She washes him, gives him a bath, cleans his apartment. And that's basically how she subsists and how she survives as she's raising her grandson, Wook. So, um, so her life is somewhat difficult. You know, she doesn't have a lot of money. And so, and she's also having to face this idea that she has Alzheimer's and, and um, that diagnosis. So that's, that's the beauty part on one hand. And then we have on the other part, her grandson and the horror that he has done, the violence that he has done to the young girl, Agnes. And I don't think she knows how to cope with that. Mija is such an interesting character to me. 
she's very it's so interesting the way she dresses in the film i don't usually comment on a woman's fashion in a film but i think it's an important part of this film she wears like very flowy garments almost bohemian a bit very colorful very pretty she wears these lace skirts often and she'll wear these beautiful sort of um knitted i don't even know if knitted is the right crochet crochet these crocheted tops and these really pretty hats that she wears and she always looks very pretty and very whimsical i would say she's kind of eccentric as a character she seems very sensitive she seems very um i'm not sure what the word is for her she's just a very ethereal character in a way and she's not really prepared, I don't think, to deal with what Wook has done. And um, a big part of the film is that there are six boys involved in the rape of Agnes. Over time, for many months before she kills herself, these boys force her to have sex with them. They do so at the school in the science lab. And she's not really able to get away from them. They coerce her into having sex with them. And so six boys are involved. And Mija um, meets with the sons of these other five boys. Wook is one and then the other five boys. Their fathers are really handling things. They are trying to keep the crime quiet. They're trying to pay off Agnes's family so that they will keep quiet. The school is doing the same thing. They want to keep this hush-hush. They don't want anyone to know what these boys have done. So they're keeping it secret. And they decide to give Agnes's mother money to keep her quiet or to, I guess, mollify her, pacify her. They agree on 30 million what is it one i think it's one yeah one the south korean currency um so they each are going to pay five million won and that comes out to about four thousand three hundred u.s dollars and that's a great deal of money that certainly would be for me and Mija struggles to come up with that money because she's a maid and she doesn't have much and um an interesting part of this film is that attempt by the fathers to hush up the crime. I'm just going to take a sip of drink. I said earlier this film is about patriarchy. And misogyny. It's a very blatant example of that and a very harsh look at it I think and we see that in the way in which these boys lives are protected and shielded and how in the dynamic between these boys and Agnes dead Agnes you know she's no longer alive that the focus the sole focus becomes protecting the boys making sure that the boys futures are not impeded or harmed by what they've done to Agnes and um 
this reminded me of some cases that have happened here in the United States. There was one a few years ago, and I think it was like a sports team or a football team, and or, or it was just a group of boys who were accused of gang raping a girl. And um, I think there was like a New York Times story, I want to say, or some kind of news story. And basically this story this girl was accusing them of rape but the news story the way it was written was like it felt bad for these boys and it said basically oh well how will the future of these boys be impacted by these allegations and a lot of people on the internet you know a lot of feminists especially spoke out about how that was really perpetuating rape culture you know this then we were that they were more concerned about these boys and their reputation and their future than about the young girl who was accusing them of rape who was saying she had been raped by them and um and and that brought i i remembered that when i was watching this because it's so much about protecting the men involved and that's all the fathers care about they don't care about agnes or her mother or or any of it all they care about is safeguarding their sons and um it's really disturbing because it turns agnes's death into a problem to be gotten rid of um they want to pay the mother off and they don't want there to be any consequences for these boys but what does that teach their sons it says that it's okay that what they did to Agnes, the that they raped her, that they assaulted her, that they brutalized her, that that's okay. And that they can do that to other women and it's totally fine. They can get away with it. That is the message that it, that it sends when they pay this money to Agnes's family. Um, and it's just so stark, that truth that... Agnes's life doesn't matter that what has been done to her and what was done to her family doesn't matter and that they can simply be bought off and that it's just a problem that they can make go away with money and the film makes that very clear and the the horror of that right I mean but that happens every day where powerful men powerful boys get away with hurting women and and harming women and um rape culture and violence against women is something that i am very concerned about and that preoccupies me as a feminist and that i don't think gets talked about enough in our culture here in the united states and i would imagine in south korea possibly as well i don't want to make any you know judgments about South Korea. I don't know much about it. Um, so I recently did an episode where I talked about um, Lifetime movies in the 1990s, the made-for-TV movies, and how a lot of those films came under great criticism because they talked a lot about domestic violence and violence against women. And there was this huge backlash against them, or, or there's been this huge criticism against them, that they stereotype women as victims, that they always show women as victims, right? 
And I argued something a little different about those films, and I spotlighted two films. One in particular was about rape. It was about a girl in high school who was raped by a guy, and how the school wouldn't believe her, and how she had to fight the school, and how the the small town she lived in didn't believe her either. And um, it stars Tiffany Amber Thiessen, and it's called She Fought Alone. And so I talk about it in the episode. And I argue that those films have a lot to say about masculinity, and they show the ways in which men can hurt women, and how we live in a culture where men hurting women is acceptable, and where we don't want to talk about domestic violence at all anymore. I think that's why Big Little Lies recently has been so important. And when Nicole Kidman won her Emmy um, a few weeks ago, she said that in her acceptance speech. She said, I was proud to be part of this film because it put a spotlight on domestic violence, which nobody seems to want to talk about anymore. So poetry... I think is an important film because it does look at violence against women, especially a young girl and what young boys can do to young girls. And while those made for TV movies did show women as victims, I thought that they also showed women fighting back. They showed women saying enough is enough. You hurt me. You harmed me. And I'm going to make sure that you are punished for it, you know? Um, So it did show women fighting back at the same time and resisting the violence against them. So I, I I think some of those films have some powerful messages in them. I'm not saying they're without faults, um, but I thought they had some interesting aspects to them, and I talk about that. So poetry is sort of a similar film in that it makes visible this violence against young girls and this violence that is perpetrated by other by by young men. And um we know that sexual violence is is a huge problem in the United States. We know women are raped and assaulted and we don't even know the full numbers. We really don't. <laughs> There's so many that go unreported because it, uh, women feel like, what's the point? It's not going to get prosecuted. They're not going to believe me. So it's actually an underreported crime, and we don't even know the full extent of it. But we know that it's happening, and we know that it's a really big problem. So, yes, it's set in South Korea, but I think this film certainly makes you reflect on where you live, and especially if you're a woman, and maybe your own experiences when you were Agnes's age at 16 and your own interactions with men or with teenage boys when you were growing up and how that really can be a minefield and it can be violent and it can be um, degrading and, and harmful, you know. So that's a big part of this film is looking at masculinity, looking at patriarchy, looking at the way women are treated you know, Mija herself is very dismissed, and she's not often seen. She's sort of an invisible person, and she's very submissive at the same time. You can tell when she's in the room with the boys' fathers that her opinion doesn't matter. She doesn't get to have a say in what happens. She's just a woman, 
you know, and they're very dismissive of her. People are often dismissive of her in the film. She'll try to talk to people and they won't talk with her. Um, that could be part of her age as well, you know, as, as an older person. She, she seems very alone. She's a character who, um, is on her own a lot. You know, she's trying to raise Wook, you know, she's doing her best with him. And then she finds out that he's committed this crime. And that's another aspect of this that I think is interesting is, um, what do you do when someone you love does something really bad and horrific? There's this show, I've only seen a few episodes. As some, some of you may know, I have an interest in true crime. And I watch a lot of true crime shows, true crime documentaries. I've seen them all. You know, I watch Forensic Files. I watch Dateline. I watch 48 Hours. I've seen Making a Murderer and um, The Jinx. And, you know, I've seen all these true crime shows that have been coming out. And I watched them when I was younger. You know, I watched Unsolved Mysteries. And, um, like I said, Forensic Files was a big one. And one called The New Detectives. Um, so I watch these true crime shows, cold case, uh, cold case files, American justice, A&E had some really good ones in the late nineties and the two thousands. So I'm someone who's really into true crime and you may know about this channel. It's called in the investigation discovery channel and they show true crime 24 seven. That's all of their program, all of their programming. And they have a show called Evil Lives Here. And it's a show that interviews people whose loved ones, whose relatives have committed crimes. And like one I saw that was really powerful was um, this guy, this young man who he went to a mall with like a gun, an AK-47 or a machine gun or something. And he did a, a mass shooting at a mall. And it was many years ago, probably a decade ago. And his stepmom was on the show and she talked about living with him and and what it was like and, and all of that. And so um, it's one of those shows that interests me. I haven't seen a ton of episodes, but it's trying, I think, to explore how do you deal with someone you love committing a violent crime? Especially if it's a mass shooting, especially if it's a particularly heinous crime. How, how do you do that? How do you, how do you cope with it? Um, there were some signs there with that young man. There were definitely some anger issues that he had and he was a scary um, young man and had a lot of issues with violence and stuff like that. And so I thought of that when I was watching this film of Mija of she goes to Wook one night he's sleeping, he's in bed or something, and she says, Why did you do it? Why did you do it? He's like sixteen years old. I mean, at that age, why are you doing this? And she can't get an answer. He doesn't answer it. Maybe there is no answer. Well the answer is, you know, misogyny and patriarchy and this a society that that values only men and devalues women and objectifies women and 
says that it's okay to commit violence against women. Obviously, that is the answer, right? But he he won't answer her. And it's interesting because even after she finds out what he did, she continues to, you know, take care of him. She doesn't kick him out. She doesn't, and I'm not, this is not a judgment. You know, I'm just saying this is what happens in the film, that their relationship continues. She, they eat together. They, you know, he watches a lot of TV. He's with his friends a lot. It's, she doesn't have like a real conversation with him except that one time that she says, why did you do this? Um, cause she wants to know and, and there is no answer. And so I don't think she knows how to deal with it. I don't think she knows how to cope with what he's done. Um, I mean, how do you cope with it? I mean, that, I don't think it can be answered really. It's, I mean, he is a child. She does love him, but to know that he did this, to this young woman um is just it's horrific and and she doesn't know she doesn't know what to do or how to handle it and so i think her poetry class sort of becomes even more important because here here she has this very dark time in her life um and she doesn't know how to cope with it or how to change it and so I think in the midst of that, that is, I think that's part of why she's so desperate to write a poem. She wants to access her creativity. She wants to create poetry. And so that is also another thing that this film is concerned with, is poetry. And as Lee Chang Dong said in that interview, we still need poetry. Um, why do we need poetry? Um... And this is something I think about a lot because I do love poetry. I don't read it as much as I probably should. Um, but I have been I have been reading some poetry lately. And it is an important part of my life, especially I like poets like Sylvia Plath, of course. She's a really important poet to me and um I love Mary Oliver. I really like her. I read a lot of her poetry. I like Walt Whitman. I like Emily Dickinson. Um, I like Alejandra uh, Pizernik. Um, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but she's an, Argen an Argentine poet, I believe. Um, I like Ingmar Bach Ingborg Bachman. I like a lot of German poetry. I like Polish poetry. Um... I like a lot of poetry in translation, um, for the most part. So, um, like Russian poets, and I like women poets. I like Carolyn Forche. I like Audre Lorde. Um, yeah. That's just a few of the poets that I do enjoy. Um, like, why do we read poetry? Why? And I, I remember when I was in college, I went to college from... 2010, 2014, I graduated, and I studied literature. I studied women's and gender studies as well. I was a double major, and um, and I have a Bachelor of Arts in both of those subjects. And um, 
I remember I took a class. I took a critical theory class, I think, a literary theory class. And we had a really great professor. And um, I think he asked us one day, he said, why do we read literature? That was his question. And I'm terrible in classes. Like, I, I cannot speak publicly at all. And so I didn't answer it, of course. And But it's always stayed with me because I felt like anything I would have said would not have been adequate. Why do we read literature? And I can't even remember what people said. Um, but the question itself haunts me. The unanswerable nature of it, for me at least, it's like... It's like that that quote, isn't it? If you have to ask, you'll never know. It's for me, literature, poetry is cinema, you know, cinema as well, literature, poetry, cinema for me is like <laughs> I I sound so cliche, but it's like breath. It's like I have to read. I, I have to watch films like that's not a choice for me. I have to write. You know, I'm a, I'm a writer. I, I write in my journal a lot, too. I, I don't even know how to put into words why I do it. It's just what I do. It's what makes me feel alive. It's what makes life worth living. It, what does literature and poetry give us? I think they give us... Li Cheng Dong said beauty. But I don't know if that's the whole story because I read a lot of things that don't have beauty in them. I read Holocaust memoirs. I read books about trauma or memoirs about trauma and loss and grief. And um, I, I'm reading Fernando Pessoa right now, the book of Disquiet for the second time because it's a masterpiece and he's a very important writer to me. And he's a, you know, a Portuguese writer, as I'm sure many of you know. And he writes stunningly about alienation and loneliness and the void, I would say. Because I'm very much sort of a, I don't know, I'm interested in those things. I'm interested in writing that is about alienation, that is about nothingness, that is about confronting the void, confronting the futility and the pain of life and the pain of existing. Um, and I like writing about sorrow, writing about despair, writing about grief. You know, I don't read like love stories or romances personally. I'm not interested in that. And, um, I'm interested in things that are about pain and, and suffering and the human condition. And I'm not sure what that says about me. But I am a sorrowful person. I am someone that feels a lot of hopelessness and despair. And I'm, I have a great deal of melancholy about my personality. And that is the poetry that attracts me. That is the writing that attracts me. Um, is that kind of writing. Because I feel like if you can write the void. If you can write the nothingness. If you can put it into words, then maybe that makes it a little bit more bearable in some way. Because um, I think life is very painful. But I think writing is a way to put that pain into words and to help us get through the pain or to or to live with the pain. You know what I mean? And um, 
So, I mean, that would be my answer. You know, what is poetry or why does it matter? Well, it it puts things into language that are not always speakable, that are not always sayable. And I think some of the best writers, like Clarice Lispector, not a poet, didn't write poetry as far as I know, she did something like that. You know, she spoke the unspeakable. And there was a transcendence that came through that, I think, when you read her work. Or even Virginia Woolf. I read To the Lighthouse recently, and there were some gorgeous passages in that book. Again, not poetry, but to me, Woolf is very poetic in many ways, especially if you read something like The Waves. That feels like poetry to me. And, um... And so, I read poetry to... I think it creates possibilities too. I think it it takes you into other realms, other worlds, into the world of the imagination. Um, so again, it can it articulates reality, but it can also be a way to escape reality, to find a way to bear reality. But of course, every person has a different view. You know, anyone who loves poetry, anyone who loves literature is going to have a different answer, right? But as someone who's been through a lot of pain and trauma and grief, I've been through a lot of a great deal of loss in my life. By the time I was 20 years old, my father had died, my grandmother had died, and my uncle had died within three years. From the age of basically 16 to 20, all of those people died and it just it eradicated me in many ways it annihilated me and um i'm not the same and i've never recovered and there's been a great deal of fallout in the aftermath of of those of that trauma of all that loss and and um I'm someone who struggles with life and I struggle to cope and I see that in Mija. I see her as this character who she is seeking through poetry some kind of solace and transcendence I think or some kind of she wants to touch beauty she wants to touch the world she wants to understand the world I think and um I think in many ways cinema can take us to places that are similar to poetry. I think that both art forms sort of they tap into emotion, into feeling, even into our dreams and our unconscious. And I think they tap into the unspeakable, the unsayable in many ways. You know, films are very, they're visual. You know, they're purely visual in a way. And um, if you think about poems some of the best poems, um, they are visual. They are describing things in the world. Um, or you think of like haikus. Haikus are very visual in a way. You know, I think of, you know, different haikus that I've read about cherry blossoms or about, you know, flowers or trees or nature. And in many ways, some of the best haikus, you can visualize what is being written on the page it becomes these images um, that are created through words and so I think cinema and poetry have this relationship and I think some some of the best um, films have a poetic quality 
And I don't know what that means to say something's poetic, but I say it, I say it in relation to this film. And I, I think it, when you say a film is poetic, I think you're saying that it is, there's a rhythm to it. I think you're saying that there's something emotional about it, something, um, something deeply felt about it. Um, I love how Lee Chang Dong in the film lingers on nature. He lingers on that river where Agnes's body flows. He lingers on the sunlight coming through the trees. He lingers on these moments of, of life and nature. And, um, and so that is what I think is poetic about the film, you know, is, is that, um, it's not like this action packed, you know, film or anything. Um, it's about ordinary human beings trying to get through a very trying and difficult time. And Mija does that through poetry and her whole pursuit throughout the film is to write a poem. She, she has a notebook that she carries around where she's writing things down and, um, she'll see apricots on the ground and she'll write a little note about them or she'll be looking at the uh the light streaming through the trees and that's something else that this film does is that it invites you to think about the poetry in your everyday life to look around you to to be aware of what is happening around you not just nature but the people around you and what's happening with them? Because if you think about it, you know, Wook was coming home every day. And he, and before Agnes killed herself, he had hurt someone every day. Or I don't know how many days he raped her, Agnes. He had done that. And then he went home and ate dinner with his grandmother. And you think, were there signs? Was there something she wasn't picking up on? Was there, could she have... I'm not blaming her. I'm not saying she's responsible for it, but it's like, was, was there something she could have seen or picked up on about him that maybe he was hiding something or was she aware of him? Did she see him? Um, or do we often go through our lives with these blinders on where we don't see what's around us and we're not paying attention and, you know, we're always on our cell phones, right? Um, everybody's looking at a screen and I know I sound like an old fogey to even say that back in my day <laughs> but I grew up in the 90s I was born in 1989 so I have this interesting perspective like I think a lot of people do who were born in the late 90s um or I mean the late 80s early 90s where we knew life before electronics we, we knew life before the cell phones we knew blockbuster we knew you know these physical spaces um that we used to live in and and we see the after we see how social interaction has changed where you know are people really looking around anymore are they looking at the sky are they looking at the birds are they looking at the trees? Are they looking at the apricots on the ground? Are they looking at apples? You know, <laughs> are we seeing? Are we looking? Are we feeling? Or are we just scrolling through all our feeds on Facebook and Twitter? And I'm guilty of it too. Um, I'm not saying I'm better than that, but 
I do take I I do take time to not be online, to not be on a cell phone, to not be on the laptop, to read words, to write words. And I wonder if poetry in some way can can be that too is it can create a space where you are you're back to yourself. You're back to some kind of simplicity in a way. And I will say this film has some gorgeous poetry in it. And I didn't say that before. She, Mija, goes to several poetry readings where people read their poetry. And it made me really interested in South Korean poetry. And I would love to maybe get a book of it sometime down the road or something like that. Or to look for some, um, maybe online or something like that. I'm very interested in Korean literature. I've read Han Kang, who wrote The Vegetarian and Human Acts. And I think those are really, those books are amazing, especially Human Acts. I was really knocked out by that book. And um, it was a very intense experience to read it. And I think Han Kang is an important writer and I could totally see her winning the Nobel Prize for Literature one day. It certainly wouldn't surprise me. But I've become much more interested in Korean literature, in South Korean literature. And um, I think I will definitely try to seek out more Asian poetry as well. I'd love to read some haiku. I'd, I'd love to read some more um, Asian literature and Asian poetry down the road. Um, and the poetry in this film is just, is just gorgeous. Like there's these beautiful moments. I mean, I didn't write down the lines or anything, but if you love poetry, this, uh, this film has some really, um, revelatory moments, I thought. And, um, but I think she is seeking in poetry, as I said, comfort, solace, beauty, but I think in the end, what's interesting is that, so she's taking this poetry class, and it's taught by an instructor. And by the end of the class, he wants everyone to have written a poem. And, um, and that's an important part of the class. And so by the end of the film, Mija has written a poem. And the poem is about Agnes. And um, by this time, a lot has happened. She came up with the money for Agnes's mother so she, so she could pay her share of the hush money, I guess you could call it, or the blood money, really. And Agnes's mother is poor. She's a single mother. She works on a farm. She obviously needs that money. And, um, they obviously try to, I think, take advantage of that and, um, to keep everything quiet. And, um, she does get the money and it looks like, and then there's this scene near the end where a policeman comes and gets Wook, gets her grandson. And he puts him in the police car. And we're not sure what happens because we're led to believe that when they pay Agnes's mother, everything's great. That they have avoided an investigation. They've avoided it becoming public and sullying the reputation of these young boys. 
And so we're under the impression that everything's okay now. You know, they've paid the money, but then this police officer shows up and he takes Wook away in a police car and Misha doesn't do anything. I mean, I don't know if there's much that she can do. Um, so will Wook be prosecuted? Will Wook go to jail for what he's done to Agnes? We don't know. It's kind of open-ended, I think. And we're not totally sure. But um, at the end, the one thing she's been desperate for is to write a poem. And she does write a poem. Misha does. And the poetry teacher shows up at the poetry class. It's the last day. There's some flowers. And Misha isn't there. But she has sent those flowers. And with the flowers is her poem that she's written. And nobody else in the class wrote a poem. She's the only one that wrote one. And while throughout the whole film she's been trying to find a poem in beauty, in apricots or apples or the light in the trees, what she really finds inspiration from is pain and tragedy. Because the poem is called Agnes's Song. And it's about Agnes. And it's about... It's written in the voice of Agnes and her saying goodbye to the world. Her at the moment of taking her life and about the things that she'll miss and the people that she loved. And then it it's so moving. Like I'm getting tears in my eyes. And I got tears in my eyes when I was watching the scene again tonight because I rewatched the film. And halfway through the poem about, we hear, um, instead of Mija's voice, who has been reading it as a voiceover, it's her voice and then we see different scenes. We see um, the skull. We see the river. Um, we see Agnes's home. Halfway through the reading of this poem, we hear Agnes's voice. We, voice, we hear the voice of a 16-year-old girl, and she's reading the poem. And it's the blending, the weaving of these two women's voices, these two women forever connected and bound together through tragedy and through violence and through pain. And we see Agnes on the bridge and looking down at the water that she is going to jump into. And she looks at the camera. And then we see the river. So we come back to where we began, which is the river. At the beginning of the film, it was Agnes's body floating face down in the water. And then at the end, it's Agnes standing on the bridge looking at the camera and we know what she's going to do and this is a profound moment of of empathy i think of trying to imagine someone else's life and someone else's pain and i think a lot of people when a loved one does something bad there is the tendency to defend them to say they're not a bad person, they just did a bad thing. There is this tendency to probably blame the victim, to blame the girl, 
say your son has been accused of rape, you're going to blame the girl. I mean, this this happens all the time. We've uh, There was a case here in the United States with a, a, a man named Brock Turner who was, um, I think he was convicted of raping a young girl by a dumpster, but he only got six months for it. He got a very light sentence because the judge said, you know, he had suffered enough and his future shouldn't be harmed. Just like in this film, just like with those six young boys and what their fathers did. And Brock's father wrote this horrible letter to the judge, basically blaming the victim or saying that it was consensual. You know, I don't know. I can't remember the full thing because it happened a while back. He was doing exactly what these boys' fathers were doing, you know, which was justifying it, um, saying that it's okay what happened, making patriarchy and misogyny very visible and very stark um, and blatant. It was a terrible letter that he wrote. He was basically excusing his son for what he did and justifying him. And it completely, that sort of rhetoric completely erases the trauma that the victim went through. And that is exactly what these fathers did in this film with Agnes, that Agnes's story gets silenced. Agnes gets forgotten. Agnes gets erased. And the sole focus becomes protecting and preserving their son's reputations. And Misha doesn't do that. Yes, she paid the money because she too is a victim under patriarchy as a woman. She doesn't have a lot of options and she was outnumbered. She did not have power in that situation. And so she writes this poem in order to Think about the situation from Agnes's perspective instead of Wook's. To think about it from the young girl's perspective who has killed herself, who has been so traumatized that she cannot keep living. And she tries to imagine that trauma and give respect to Agnes's life. And so it's this, I think, profound moment of empathy, a profound reaching out through language to try and touch someone or touch something that is so outside of you and so distant from you. And she, earlier in the film, Misha, had gone to the bridge that Agnes jumped from. She had stood there and she had looked over into the water. So throughout the film, she is looking. She goes to the school. She goes to the science lab where she's told a lot of the rape had happened, that that's where the boys would take Agnes and that's where they would rape her. She is looking, just as the poetry teacher told her, you have to look. Poetry is about looking. It's about seeing, truly seeing something with fresh eyes, as though you're seeing it for the first time. And that's what she's trying to do. She goes to these different sites. She goes to the funeral service or the memorial service that's held for Agnes 
and she sees her family, you know, crying. She goes to Agnes's house where her mother lives. So throughout the film, Misha is looking at Agnes. She is remembering Agnes. She is trying to reconstruct Agnes and connect with her in some way. Even as I think she feels profound guilt about what happened, of what Wook did, you know, and why he did it. And, but she's trying, I think, to make contact with Agnes in some way or to try to understand what happened and how it could happen and her not know about it, you know, and how you think maybe you live in a safe place or maybe you think people are good and then your your illusions are shattered and you realize that there's something else going on in the world there's this darker world that you didn't know about where people are being hurt and i think it's always shocking when you have that moment of revelation of of what's ha really happening in the world to people and the pain that is there. And so I think through the poem, she's trying to reach Agnes and she's trying to give a voice to Agnes. And I think she's trying to raise Agnes from the dead through, through these words. But more than anything, I think it's giving Agnes a voice because the poem is written from the perspective of Agnes and her talking about transitioning from life to death and what that entails and um it's one of the most powerful final scenes that i've ever encountered in my life and i wrote when i read when i first watched this film i watched it january 17th 2014 and I wrote this comment. I said, Nothing I write can convey how deeply this film moved me. It will stay with me always. And that's what I wrote. And it did stay with me. It has stayed with me. That's why I wanted to review it. It's why I wanted to talk about it. Because I think that... Um, I think it is one of the best films I've ever seen. It's one of the most poignant and moving films that I've ever seen. And it has these deeper messages about patriarchy and misogyny and masculinity and violence against women. And I, I think those are really important subjects. At the same time, it is a beautifully crafted film. Um... The main actress that plays Mija is Jong Hee-yun. Um, she is the main actress and Lee Chang-dong said that he really created the film with her in mind. Um, he said, quote, when I was envisioning this film, the first person that I thought of was Yoon or Yun. He, he specifically wrote it for her in mind. And, um... When she made this film in 2010, she had been on a 15-year hiatus. She had not made a film for 15 years. But she had made more than 300 films, especially in the 60s and 70s. She was a big uh, movie star, I guess, in South Korea. Um, 
And so this was a film she made after, you know, 15 years of not doing any kind of film. And he wrote it specifically with her in mind. And she beautifully plays this part. Um, I think it's a very effective performance. And she really brings Mija to life. Um, so... It's just, it's one of those films that it's like, I could talk about it forever, I think. There, there's so much to it, and there's so much there, and it's just so interesting because throughout the film, she's desperate to write a poem. She thinks poetry is some kind of mystery that she can solve, that it's some kind of, there's some kind of secret that she can uncover, or there's a lock that she can unlock. And she'll have the secret to poetry and how to write a poem. But what the teacher tells her is that you have to feel in order to write a poem. And it has to come from your feeling. And it has to come from your heart. And I think that in this tragedy and in this pain is where Mija finds inspiration. And that's where she finds the poem is not necessarily in beauty, but in pain, and in the death of this young girl that was really caused by her grandson, and um, and perhaps through the poem she's trying to come to terms with that too, but she could have easily written a poem about her pain, couldn't she have? She could have written the poem from her perspective, oh, you know, look what my grandson has done, and look what I have suffered, and but she purposely tries to write it, she purposely does write it from the perspective of Agnes. And she wants to hear Agnes's voice. She wants to connect with Agnes. And she wants to try to understand and feel the pain that Agnes went through. And, and that led that young girl to make the decision to take her own life. And so it's this moment of her trying to inhabit another life and to see things from a different perspective when she easily could have seen it from her own or she could have tried to justify what Wook did. And she doesn't do that. She doesn't try to do that. She breathes some life back into Agnes and gives her a voice. And that is the voice that we hear at the end of the film and the voice that haunts us, and the voice that stays with us, and the voice that is, I think, representative of all the women who have been traumatized and violated and brutalized under patriarchy and because of misogyny and the suffering that so many women have gone through because of that. And young girls... And how destructive that violence is. And how sometimes you can't live with it. Sometimes that trauma is just, it's too unbearable. And I think that's ultimately what haunts me about this film. Is, is confronting that trauma of sexual violence. And of violence against women. And realizing the profound damage that it does to the woman, to families, to communities, to cultures, 
and how it 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 spreads throughout everything, you know. And um so this is just a devastating film in many ways. It's it, it guts you, I think, especially the ending. But it really stays with you, which is why I wanted to talk about it. It just like there's a place inside me where this film lives, and there's not many films like that, I don't think. But there's quite a few for me, but I have certain films that just, they stick in my gut. They stick in my heart, and um, this is one of them because I think it's unique. I think it's powerful. I think it's moving. Um, I think it's poetic. Um, and obviously, I would recommend that you watch it if you're able to. I wish it was still on Netflix here in the U.S. That's how I watched it originally. I wish it was still available here. Maybe it will stream again. You never know. It may be on another streaming site. I don't know. Um, but it's a really important film. Really, really important film. And the critics, when it came out in 2010, were unanimous that they absolutely loved this film. Um, it was selected for the main competition in the Cannes Film Festival in 2010, and it did win the Best Screenplay Award at the 2010 Cannes Film Festival. And as I say, critics are unanimous in the praise for this film. So it's, I think Lee Chang Dong is really important, and I'm definitely going to explore more of his work. He has a film called Oasis, he has one called, I think, Peppermint Candy, um, he has a few films out there that I haven't seen yet, so I definitely want to explore them. But um, I'll stop here. I think I've said everything that I want to say about this film, and I think I've done everything I can um, to talk about it and to communicate my feelings about it. So uh, thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Until next time, keep watching great films. Bye for now.